Good morning. So we're in a series of living by the Spirit. And um, and so if you've been with us, you know that we've been pressing this year. Felt like the Lord was highlighting for our house that we need a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. And um, he raised the question of how do we live by the Spirit or walk in the Spirit? And felt like the first step when we were pressing in to the Lord of, of where do we start that process, he said, study the book of Galatians. And so we've been doing that. And um, and today we're in Galatians chapter 3. But in, in the first two chapters, really what's highlighted in Galatians is this huge emphasis on the gospel being a gospel of grace. And um, and we uncovered key number one, which was is to receive the divine empowerment or grace. But the divine empowerment is the ability and the authority that God's pouring out to you comes from God to you to do what you could never do on your own. And so part of walking in the spirit is receiving this divine empowerment coming from God towards you to allow you to walk in a manner that you could never do on your own. That's grace. It's the gospel, right? Jesus says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I will make you, you become like Christ. How could you ever become like Christ? You can't do it. Why would he tell you to do something you could never do? Because he has grace or this divine empowerment that he's releasing to you to be able to step into both the ability and the authority to do what you could never do on your own. It's the beauty of the gospel. And so um, we also uncovered in the first two chapters that there's some hindrances to walking in the Spirit. It's not always just this easy thing. It's meant to be, right? I think that's so often we blow up Christianity and the gospel. We make it this huge, hard, overwhelming thing. No one can ever do it. The reality is you're just supposed to receive. Like the worship team was singing this morning about fresh fire, right? And there's a sense, how do you get the fire? Just receive it. Could it be that easy? Really? <laughs> um, but so some of the hindrances that we uncovered was that if you're living in a manner to please man, it puts a wedge in between you from receiving the Holy Spirit. It hinders you from walking in the Spirit. If you're walking in the fear of man, it's going to hinder the flow of the Holy Spirit on towards you. Because what, 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 um, what's the conduit for the flow? It's walking in the fear of the Lord. You're so focused on the Lord. You're in tune with him. You're aligning yourself with him. You're obedient to everything that he's calling you to do. It opens a portal for him to come and rest with you. That's what we see with Jesus. The dove came and rested on him delighted in him. He received it. Then he started doing ministry. And with every step of obedience, there was increased favor, both with God and with man. It's beautiful. Another thing that um, hinders us to walking in the spirit is living in hypocrisy, where what we say doesn't match up how we live, right? Um, Our actions speak louder than our words. It's true. So we might profess everything over here that is like the truth of the kingdom. This is what we believe. This is what we do. But then over here, this is how we live. And it doesn't match up. Obviously, the goodness of God is onto that. He's going to highlight that. He's going to shine his light. 
Because he wants to bring you back into a place of alignment with the Lord so you can have abundant life. Right? So none of it's bad news. Right? Even if you find yourself wrestling with pleasing man or walking in the fear of man or living in hypocrisy. Right? Uh, another one is um, being unconfrontable. Right? So if your first response to confrontation is you get defensive. Like someone comes and says, hey, I want to talk to you about something. And you're like, ooh, I got my, my gear up. I'm ready to fight. Right? Or um, you're, you're quickly offended. Right? Those are things that hinder the flow of the Spirit. Um, the last one is striving versus grace. Right? So living in a manner of striving, trying to earn from God. Love, power, right? Um, yeah, his favor, right? It doesn't work. It'll never work. But if you, if you get yourself in a pattern of that, it cuts off the flow of the Holy Spirit towards you. It doesn't mean you're hopeless, <laughs> but you're invited into a table that's set before you of grace to just receive the love of the Father, the power of the Father, the favor of the Father to rest in his delight, to walk with him, right? Um, It's that whole receiving, resting, and remaining that we've been talking about the past couple messages. All right, so that's sort of where we've been. Galatians chapter 3, if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Galatians chapter 3. And it says this. It says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. So Paul's writing this letter to the Galatians, the believers in Galatia, right? I want to find this one thing. This is what I really want to know. He says, did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? How do we receive the spirit? By works of the law or by hearing with faith? It's a question, right? Um, He goes on in verse 3, he says, Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Remember what's happening, right? So there's Jewish believers who are coming in, and they're basically saying to the Gentile believers that you're, you're, um, you're not sufficient unless you go ahead and get circumcised in addition to the rest of the gospel. That you need to honor this one law. This is a key law. And if you don't honor that law, then you're, you don't really, you're not fully adopted into the kingdom. It's a distorted gospel. And that's the message they've been getting. Paul says in verse 4, did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain, so then does he who provides you with the spirit and works miracles among you do it by works of the law or by hearing with faith? When they heard the message from Paul, when he came and he preached the gospel, They received it by the Spirit. That's how they heard it, that there was grace. They were accepted. They were loved just the way that they are, right? And they could come and they could um, believe in Jesus. They lay down their lives for him. He comes in and takes up residence within them. Then they start seeing the things of the Spirit. There's signs, wonders, miracles taking place. Things are moving forward, right? They're loved. They're adopted. All those things. Um. They began in the spirit, and Paul saying, now are you going to be perfected in the flesh? Does that make any sense? Why not if you began in the spirit, you would continue in the spirit? (laughs) 
But the message that they were getting was that, no, you actually, even though you began in the spirit, you need to perfect it through the flesh by being circumcised. The flow or the currency of the kingdom, the gospel of grace, is faith. How do you believe Jesus laid down his, or died for me, that I could have life with him, that I could enter into the Father's realm? By faith. It's all about faith. We declare it's truth, right? But even declaring that it's true, to believe it, you have to believe it in faith. And that's what the Galatian disciples did. They believed it all in faith. Until this next new message came and said, actually, you need to add this. Um, and so the flow or currency of the kingdom is, is not by works of the law. It's by faith. And the Galatian disciples are being presented a distorted gospel saying that they need to be circumcised in order to be fully saved. And so where that applies to us, right, we've been looking at this. Is there ways that you've been adding things to the gospel of grace or, um, or, or believing things that aren't part of the gospel of grace that then is taking you in a direction away from the Lord instead of walking in the spirit and connecting with him by simply receiving and believing? Verse 6 says, just as Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, therefore recognize that it is those who are of the faith who are sons of Abraham. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying all the nations will be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. Right? He's the father of faith. It has been established in the covenant with Abraham that all men, not just the Jews. So even before the law, the law came with Moses, right? Before you have Abraham over here who had a covenant relationship with the Lord. And it was established then that all men, Jews and Gentiles, would be blessed through that covenant. Um, but that, yeah, that they would be justified by faith. All men would be justified by faith. It's the only way. The law couldn't do it. It was impossible for the law to accomplish what can only be accomplished through this covenant of faith. Verse 10 says, For all who are works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to do them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous one will live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, the person who performs them will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So in Christ Jesus, who's the Redeemer or the Righteous One, the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles and the Jews. Um, for that matter, through faith, not through the law. Jesus is the Redeemer. Jesus is the Righteous One. So putting our faith in Him, receiving from Him by faith, is what allows you to enter into or to be justified. What's the promise of the Spirit? 
there's probably many interpretations, right, of this promise. As I read it, I think of the simple promise that Jesus said, right? That Jesus said that it's good for me to go, to ascend into heaven, to be with the Father. And because if I go, then the Holy Spirit's going to be released to you. Um, The Holy Spirit can come. And he tells the disciples to go wait in Jerusalem, wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon them. So they would receive power. And that Holy Spirit would baptize them in power. What does that have to do with what we're talking about? Ultimately, when the Holy Spirit comes and resides inside of you, what does it do? It's a divine empowerment to live and to do all those things that Jesus did. To be like him. And we receive this promise of the Spirit through faith. And that's the key. And so one of the things that we've been talking about is, you know, at Grace, we're in this, we're in a a season of, of waiting for this fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit, a greater outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Um, And we wait with hope and expectation because of the promise, right? God's a a faithful promise keeper. Why are we waiting? Why do we need a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit? You might be here this morning and you feel like, I don't know that we need that. Life's going pretty good. We're doing just fine. For me, personally, I'll give you one reason. The current level of power that we're experiencing in our day-to-day lives, um, it's not enough to accomplish what Jesus said we would do. So what do we do with that? I'll give you an example from Scripture. So John 14, 12, it's probably familiar to many of you. Jesus says to his disciples, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the one who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. So the, the promise, just if you take it at, at face blank, is, is Jesus is going to go to the Father. And as a result of that, those who believe would do the same works as him and even greater works. And let's break it apart a little bit, right? So Jesus says, the one who believes in me, who's the me? Jesus, right? The one who believes in me. I think everybody would agree with that. Um, who's the one who believes? Right, So at some level, it's followers of Jesus, but there's some debate about it, right? How you interpret this verse, right, is significant. Is it all believers? So everybody who's a follower of Jesus that this is going to be true for? Is it um, some believers? Is it just for the believers who were in his presence when he said it? There's individuals across the globe who believe each one of those things. Right? So that's the reality. Um, you need to decide for yourself what you believe. Right? If it was just those in the room, what do you do with people like Stephen or Philip, who was translocated, or Ananias or Paul? Paul wasn't in the room, but Paul did something that Jesus never did that we know of. He anointed handkerchiefs, and they took those handkerchiefs And they laid it on sick people, and the sick people recovered. That seems like a greater work. 
Notice greater work is not necessarily a better work. It just brings more awe and wonder. It's like, are you serious? Like, I think of how Jesus, um, the, the, the centurion, right, who said to Jesus, you know, you don't have to come to my house. You can just speak it. And Jesus marveled at the man's faith. He said, I hadn't seen any faith like that of the, of the Jewish people. It, it, it brought awe and wonder to him. It was something outside of the box that Jesus probably knew could happen, but that somebody else knew that it could happen, that was powerful. And then here we see Paul laying handkerchiefs on the sick, and they recover, or on the demon-possessed, and they get set free. Um, So if it's just for the people in the room, what do you do with that? I don't know. Um, If it's just some believers then why doesn't Jesus just say that? Some believers will do the same works as me and even greater works. He doesn't say that. He says only those that believe. And there may be a key to that, right? Because what do you believe? (laughs) I can be a believer and not believe this is true for today. Does that make sense? There's many people who are believers, they believe in Jesus, but they don't necessarily believe that this is a true promise that we can still access. And so it's just curious. Or is it for all believers? And that any single believer could have access to this promise coming true in their lives if they pressed for it. Um, The other option is that Jesus is a liar. Is he a liar? How do you know? Right? By faith. Right? Ultimately, you, like that's hard, right? But if it's not true, then he's a liar. Or you make a case, well, um, he changed his mind. Can Jesus change his mind? Well, he could. He's God. He could do whatever he wants, Right? Or that the promise is done with. It was just for the early church. It was just for the acts of the apostles, right? That happened within that time frame. That they needed to be empowered in order to release signs, wonders, and miracles so that the gospel would spread across the globe. And then somewhere it stopped. But God never said that it would stop, right? And so that's the tricky part. Um. Yeah, we've seen other people break through over the years. We talked about it in my first message this year about the Moravians broke through. I think it was in the 1400s or 1500s, somewhere in there. Um, Smith Wigglesworth broke through. This guy was a plumber, man. He's just a plumber. He didn't have any education. He's just a plumber. But he got hold of the word, and the Holy Spirit gripped him. He says, I'm going to believe every word in this, this book. You know, the only book that he read was the Bible. He refused to read other books about God. Because he didn't want to hear what you had to say about God. He wanted to hear what God had to say about God. And so he feasted on the word. And he took the truths within the, the scriptures, and he said, I believe it. I, by faith, I believe this is really true. And if you look at the signs, wonders, and miracles that flowed through Smith Wigglesworth, 
It's phenomenal. He healed a deaf woman here in Sonoma County. Out in Casadero. That's a stake in the ground here. Anyway, but he did some crazy stuff, right, that I don't necessarily recommend. But, but with the Holy Spirit, right, he's throwing people up against walls and declaring that they're healed and they're instantly healed. And they're not hurt in the process, right? It's crazy. Anyway, he's another one. Or you can look at John G. Lake. Or William Seymour, Azusa Street Revival. These are all individuals. So they, they took this at face value and said, I believe it's true for today. I'm going to press for it. What did William Seymour do? I don't know the exact, but I think he started praying five hours a day for a, a year and a half or three years or something like that. And then he increased it to seven hours or something like that. It was the only way he could tap into the things of the spirit. But he knew in his spirit it was true. But he wasn't experiencing it. So he pressed in and he pressed in and he pressed in. And you think about what happened at Azusa Street, right? Like that was next level Holy Spirit. You talk about fire coming. The fire engines would come to the building because they thought it was on fire. And it was just the Holy Spirit fire that was resting on the place. How many people were healed and delivered? How much got spread from that to what we're currently seeing? Any healing movement that we can um, point at. Most of it can draw its lines back to Azusa Street. Um, Amy Simple McPherson, currently, right? Randy Clark, Heidi Baker. They just, they dare to believe that it's still true. So we have pictures like that, right? Ultimately, the Holy Spirit's the vehicle or the conduit for this promise to come to pass if it actually is for all believers. And so that's why we press in for the authentic gospel and not a distorted version, the good enough gospel. Anybody following the good enough gospel? It's good enough. <laughs> it's, even though he said that, you know what? But it's good enough. If he really wanted that to be true, it would just be so easy and it just would happen. We wouldn't have to do anything. It just would happen. We're just supposed to receive, right? It's just, so we're just waiting. We're going to receive. I'm not going to solve it for you. Um, I'm raising the question. Um, if you settle for the good enough gospel, you bring the truth down to your experience instead of your experience up to the truth. And every individual has to make a decision around that of what you're going to live for or press for. Um, as a house we're sort of taking this verse and many verses of what Jesus said, and we're saying we actually believe that it's true for today and that we can access it, we can press in for it, and that the, the people in our spheres of influence here in this county and to the nations, they actually deserve it. The truth of the gospel. Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing, he only said what he heard the father saying, so he represented the father's heart. What are we representing if we're not fully empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the same thing? What are we offering the people around us? And are we curious why so many are not interested? It 
It doesn't mean you wouldn't be rejected. Jesus was rejected. He was crucified. He was beaten. He was tortured. His, even his disciples all ran away from him, right? Like, so it wasn't like it's easy. You look at the life of Paul, even though he operated in signs, wonders, and miracles all over the place, he was beaten and stoned and shipwrecked and all the kinds of things, right? So nobody's saying it's an easy life. But one thing Paul had in common with Jesus is they were sold out to the belief that this is actually true. And to the believers, signs, wonders, and miracles followed them. Anyway, it raises the question. Back to the text, verse 15 of Galatians 3 says, Brothers and sisters, I speak in terms of human relations. Even though it's only a man's covenant, yet when it has been ratified, no one sets it aside or adds conditions to it. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as one would in referring to many, but rather as in referring to one, and to your seed, that is Christ. What I'm saying is this, the law, which came 430 years later, does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to nullify the promise. For if the inheritance is based on law, it is no longer based on a promise, but God has granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. Why the law then? It was added on account of the violations having been ordered through angels at the hand of a mediator until the seed would come to whom the promise had been made. Now a mediator is not for one party only, but God is only one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Far from it. For if a law had been given to what was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on law. But the scripture has confined everyone under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being confined for the faith that was destined to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our guardian to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. All right, so Jesus is the seed or the promised one of the covenant. That's what Paul's saying to the Galatians. And that the covenant superseded the law. The covenant was 430 years before the law was given. The law wasn't bad. Do you get that? You could read this letter and you could say, oh man, the law was terrible. Why, would it, why did he even do that? But Paul's saying the law wasn't bad. It was from God, but it was meant to be a guardian to lead us to Christ that we would be justified by faith. It was always set and established that the only way to be justified was through faith. The law was supposed to guide you or like a guardian to lead you to Christ so that when you see him, you're actually going to be revealed the truth of who he is. But the law could never save or make us righteous. No matter how hard you try, it can't do it. It doesn't have the power to do so. Jesus is the only one who can. And that's why he was released. Verse 26 says, For you are all sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants and heirs according to the promise. 
So all believers become sons and daughters of God through faith. It's in the very act of believing in who Jesus is and what he did for you personally and saying, I receive that, that you become a son or a daughter of God. When you're baptized into Christ, you're, you clothe yourself in Christ. It's like putting Christ on you, right? He comes and fills you up, but it's as if you were putting on a Christ suit, right? He covers you, and therefore his righteousness becomes your righteousness. There's no longer trying to work it out, trying to try harder in order to become righteous. It doesn't work. It's resting in his righteousness, what he paid for, and receiving it, that it's done. Our identity is no longer divided by race or socioeconomic status or gender. All believers are one in Christ. Right? It doesn't mean he's not saying that, you know, your race doesn't matter or that your gender doesn't matter. That's not what he's saying. So those things are still significant. But the reality is that when you take on Christ, when you receive Christ, we become one. So whether I'm rich and you're poor or whether I'm a male and you're female or whether I'm of this race and you're of that race, it doesn't matter. We're one in, 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 this, in the flesh with, with God, right? We become one with Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you're a descendant of Abraham, right? Who thought they were the descendants of Abraham? The Jewish people, right? Because they were. They had the lineage. They had the papers. They had the circumcision. They could prove it. Um, but for the Gentiles, it wasn't about that. It wasn't about the right papers. It wasn't about the right lineage. It wasn't about the circumcision. It was about faith. And receiving what Jesus did. Becoming justified by faith. And they became heirs to the same promise. Um, Paul's reminding the Galatians of all that they have as a result of receiving the gospel of grace. He's saying, remember when I came and preached, remember what the gospel is. And remember what it's not. And I think today he's asking um, or he's asking them if they're ready to give it up or to trade it in for a distorted gospel based on law. You started with the spirit. Now you're going to throw it all away in order to adopt this new peace that's not of God. How could you be so foolish? He's imploring to them. It's like it, if you think of anybody who's a missionary, the people who will get planted in those churches, they become like your kids. They really do. I, I think Paul's heart broke for the Galatian believers. And he was really angry that somebody would come in and try to distort the gospel and take them on a, on a course, right? If you look at some of the language in the letter. Because it's, they're like his kids. And he's saying, hey, remember the truth. Um. Today, I think the Holy Spirit wants us to remember the truth of the gospel as well. And what's our current reality as a result of saying yes to Jesus? Like, what a divine exchange. Um, Jesus laid down his life that I would have life. And by faith, I lay down my life to receive his life for mine. 
Every believer does this. Jesus then takes up residence in me, or how it says in Galatians 2.20, he lives in me. How do you know that? By faith. Prove it. It's by faith. It's by faith. I become a son or daughter by faith. I'm clothed with Jesus. I become one in Christ with all other believers. I become a descendant of Abraham, and I become a co-heir to the promise. All of these things are true if you have a relationship with Jesus, right? If there's anybody here today or if you're listening on the podcast, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. All of these things are available for you today. And if you would ever want to talk about that, please come up after and we can process that. But it's yours. But it's all by faith. It's faith for the believer and faith for the unbeliever. The only way to access it is by faith. And in, in a sense, it's like you could say, well, it's once and done, right? You accept Jesus into your life and it's sealed. Yes. But you have to continue on a walk of receiving and declaring these things as true by faith. So it is a continual process as well. Right? Um, yeah. I'm going to throw out one more question for us to sort of wrestle with this week. And um, the question is, is there anything hindering you from walking in the fullness of who you are or trying to accuse you or question who you really are as a follower of Jesus? I'll repeat it. Is there anything hindering you, right? So for the Galatians, it was this distorted message that you needed to be circumcised, and that was the key to truly being saved. For us, is there, is there anything that's hindering you from walking in the fullness of who you are as a child of God, a co-heir with Christ, right? Clothed with Christ. Is there anything that's hindering you from walking in the fullness of that or that tries to accuse you or question who you really are as a follower of Jesus? Right? One of, of the names of the enemy is he's the accuser of the brethren. And so often his strategy is to try to accuse you. Like if, if you really were clothed with Christ, you probably wouldn't be doing what you're doing. You probably wouldn't respond that way. You probably would be able to have your life all together. You probably, right, you can fill in the blanks. When the big bill comes, you probably would just say, peace, be still. <laughs> right? And yet the reality is all of us, we're clothed in Christ, but we're growing in Christ. Right? It's this divine empowerment that we're getting more and more as we host his spirit. And he takes up residence in us. And he's also, he's, he's doing a, a, a beautiful work. He, we become a new creation. And then we're learning what does it look like to be a new creation. And so I think that's part of the struggle and the challenge that we face. And yet the reality is all of the DNA that was deposited in you is what enables you to be able to walk in the fullness of who you were created to be. And that's beautiful. 
And so that's why we celebrate progress, not perfection. Um, the key number two that we're going to throw into our mix in studying Galatians is um, for living in the spirit or walking in the spirit is to remember the truth of divine exchange. So all of those key principles in that divine exchange, remember them and renew your mind with them. What does that mean? It means that you, you look at it, you examine it, you meditate on it, you mutter it. It becomes how you say, I am a son of God or I am a daughter of God. I am a co-heir with Christ. You declare it. You, re- you reflect on it. You, you let it sink into who you fully are. Um, because the promise is that the truth will set you free. And so if the, the things in the divine exchange, um, I don't know if you can go back to that slide, Steve, but if, if, you, if those, those things that Jesus takes up residence in me, we're not supposed to just know it in our head, like as a good idea. We're actually supposed to experience it. And so part of that is carving out time and space and pressing in, glad, I want to experience the fullness of that, that you reside in me. And many of us have had encounters where we felt the presence of God, right? We felt a sensation or a tingling or something, right? Where we would say, that's God. Um, and yet there's a sense that he's always in us. I become a son or daughter. You own it. I'm clothed with Jesus. Back to the son or daughter, right? It's not just that you're a son or a daughter. You're a beloved son a beloved daughter, that your father loves you, that he would do anything for you. He would even discipline you, <laughs> right? He's a good father. He, he's just that good. He, he, he sent Jesus to lay down his life for you and me. He would spare nothing for you to have life. And you're meant to be able to run and jump on his lap. And just be with him, right? But but if you if you get stuck, like where that's not in the forefront of your mind, then it's it's not really true. Because you're not owning it. You're not receiving it. I'm clothed with Jesus. I become one in Christ with all other believers. Think about how you treat your fellow believers. These are your brothers and sisters. They may not agree with you about everything. How do you treat them? Descendant of Abraham, a co-heir to the promise. It's all good stuff. Um, So renew your mind with the truth, and the truth will set you free. We're going to pray. Jesus, I thank you for um, your word. I thank you for the book of Galatians. And um, we're just doing like a, a quick Cliff Notes version of it instead of dissecting every single verse and, um, and letter or word. Um, but I praise you for the things that you're pulling out. And you know our hearts that we, um, ultimately, we just want more of you. We're, we're hungry and thirsty for the more. We, we do want to walk in the Spirit. We want to live by the Spirit. We believe that that's how we're meant to, to um, navigate through this, this world, just like Jesus and he, he only was able to accomplish what he, what he accomplished because of his relationship with the Holy Spirit. And it's the same for us. It's the promise that you gave um, from him to 
the disciples, the 120, was to go wait for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You'd receive power. And we see what that did when it came. And it sent them on a trajectory of these timid and fearful individuals to being these strong and courageous individuals who were willing to lay down their lives for the sake of the gospel and the truth. And they had compassion like they never imagined. And they're willing to go um, uh, all over the world. And Lord, I pray that you would grip us afresh. And we do. We ask for your fresh fire today. We ask for an outpouring of your presence. We don't want it. Um, we, we don't want it to be structured or systemized. We don't want it to have to look a certain way. We just want you. And so, Lord, would you take the um, the truth in what was spoken today for each person who's hearing it? Right? We hear by we faith comes by hearing. And I pray you would bless our spiritual ears. If there's anything that was spoken that feels like, oh, I don't know about that or it's a question, I pray that there would be a sense of pressing into you. What's really true? And then that you would give us a fresh revelation of the truth of what our inheritance is as followers of Jesus. What do you say about us as sons and daughters and co-heirs? And what does that really mean? How would we live different if we truly owned it? And would you lead us in that process? And we just ask for your radical blessing over every person who hears the sound of my voice. That they would know that they're loved. That they would know that they're wanted. That they would know that they're actually liked by you, God. <laughs> that you, you, you pursue them and you'll never stop. And your goodness and your faithfulness is on towards each one. I just pray that they would um, feel your love. And they'd be able to rest in your delight. And then, Lord, we, we do continue to pray that you would give us grace to receive your grace. Bring us to a place of receiving like we never have experienced before. And you're the only one who can do that. And so we look to you with hope and expectation. And we ask that you would seal all that you've done here this morning. In Jesus' precious name, amen.